I played that video. It came out in 2010. I played it in another church. And uh, you always wonder how people are going to receive it. So thank you for enjoying that video. <laughs> it is the dad life. Um, my son is walking out with my Bible. It's part of the dad life. He was supposed to leave it up here. How's your evening going, son? <laughs> I appreciate it, buddy. <laughs> All right. Hey. We're in John chapter 17 today. You don't have to turn there this morning because we're going to just use that as a springboard because it is Father's Day, and I, I want to talk to fathers today, but I won't only be speaking to fathers. There's always uh, pieces of wisdom from the Bible that we all utilize, especially when we're talking about relationships. Um, you know, it's a hard topic, though, when you try to distinguish mothers and fathers and I don't mean, um, not our culture, uh, you know, there's definitely a distinguishing feature between fathers and mothers, but as our culture moves forward, how many of your parents both worked outside the home? Probably a lot of you had parents, a mother who stayed home and, and did the mom work at home and the dad went out to work. In today's society, we have uh, a lot of dual income families and it changes the nature of mother, mother and fatherhood, doesn't it? Um, but we are different and we are distinct. Uh, I know you've seen this before, but if you were to decide which bathroom was the men's room and which was the ladies' room, would the men's be blah or would it be blah, 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 blah? <laughs> All right. Please don't be insulted by that. <laughs> be insulted by what I'm about to say in the future. No, it would be the one on the right. Now, men blah, but women blah, 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 blah. Because women communicate more and talk more in general. We're talking about generalities. Don't tell me about your Uncle Ned who never shuts up. But in general, men and women are different. Fathers and mothers, we have different roles. But it doesn't mean that the roles don't cross or there aren't strengths and weaknesses in both that they do duplicate but have them to different degrees. I asked my son because I always you know, wrestle with the, the messages. I asked my son, Zach, I said, what's the difference between a mother and a father? And this is what he came up with. He said, Dad, fathers are like when you go camping and you have those aluminum plates that you eat off of. You can bang them around. You can smash them. You can throw them against rocks and they won't break. Mom is like your fine china, your decorative fine china that you wouldn't dare try to smash against a rock because it would break. Now, my wife was immediately offended by that because she went to the it would break part. That's not what he meant. My, my son, in his wisdom, in his 18 years on this earth, was trying to show that there's a, there's a little bit more of a, a roughness to a dad, a little bit more of a hardness to a dad than there might be softness to a mom. And that's, right, that's rightful, and that's good, and that, that's proper. But, you know, my wife has strengths that I don't have. I have strengths that she doesn't have. But we probably all have a little bit of each strength. For instance... If your son were to come up here and read John chapter 17 and tell everybody that it's evening, a dad might come up and ridicule the boy. Not mom. Mom would be that china that, that you don't make. And she would say, oh, don't make him feel worse than he already feels. Right? So there are differences between men and women. So when I was growing, how did I learn to be a dad? I've been a dad for 20 years now, and it's the... The second best role, wink, wink, say no more, that I've ever had in my life. The first is just being a husband. The second is being a dad. I always wanted to be a dad. I always wanted to have a girl and prayed to God for a girl. And he said, okay, here's two boys. So I had two boys. I said, that's the way you compromise with God, right? 
How did I learn to be a dad? Some days, church, I feel like the best dad in the world, and other days I feel like an absolute failure. Can you relate with me, fathers? Well, I learned to be a dad from my dad. My father was a prison guard. He worked the second shift. He worked from 3.30 to 11 at night. So when I would be in school, my dad would be sleeping. When I would come home, my dad would be working. And of course, we slept overnight, so I would rarely see my dad except for the weekends. But when I did see my dad, did anybody have in their house dad's chair? You don't touch it, that's where he sits. Yeah, when I, when, I, when I did see dad, he was usually in dad's chair watching TV or doing something else because that's dad's chair. You don't touch it, don't bother dad. He works hard. That's how fatherdom was portrayed to me. But on weekends, when we would go to the store, we would go to Pashonk Avenue in South Philadelphia, and my dad, I was like five or six, my dad would walk fast. And I, with my chubby little legs, would try to walk as fast as my dad, but you know, I couldn't because I was just a little kid. And my dad would say to me, you want me to walk slower? I said, no, dad, I want to walk like you. Don't slow down, let me catch up. My point is that we learn how to be a dad, whether it's good or bad, usually from our fathers. And some of us don't have fathers. Some of us are raised by our mothers and we learn how to be a father by watching our mother. So when I decided to become a dad, it's a decision you make. I said, I'm gonna be a better dad. My dad did a great job. He put food on the table, he put clothes on our back. He did what he thought he was supposed to do. But you know, I couldn't talk to my dad about anything but cars, jobs, things like that. They were all very surface conversations. And my dad's still alive, he's 86 years old. And to this day, my dad will not dig deep in conversation. He was not a believer, never was a believer, and to this day is not a believer. So our relationship has always been very surface. So I said to myself, I'm going to be a better dad. Well, church, how do I learn to be a better dad? By looking at the relationship between the father and the son. And there's no better place to turn than John chapter 17. Hours before his death, hours, not days, Jesus turned to his father. John chapter 17, John chapter 16, full of Jesus Christ talking to dad. Hey, it's coming close. Father, the hour has come and I need you. And he walked into his father's presence and prayed. But he didn't just get on his knees and put his head down and what did Jesus do? Jesus spoke these things and raising his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so that the son may glorify you. He looked up and said, Dad, I gotta talk to you. I wanna say some very important things before I die. What did Jesus say in John chapter 17? First of all, in the first section, he prayed for himself. Father, there's some things I want you to know. You glorified me, I glorified you. We did the best we could as a father and son. The second section, he says, hey, and these other people came along with me, both men and women, and I, I pray for them, Father. I want you to love them as much as you have loved me, Dad. And he didn't stop there. In the third section, he said, I don't just pray for those around me today. I pray for those who come after them. A generational prayer. So that's how Jesus approached his father. And what I want to do, church, is not an exegesis of these passages, of these verses, but I want to pull some things. I want to glean some wisdom and fruit that you dads can apply to your lives. Because church, what do they tell us is the biggest problem in the inner city today? Is it drugs? Is it violence? Is it deaths? Is it shootings? Is it guns? Or is it not having fathers in the home? 
Well, it's not having fathers in the home because that leads to all the other things. But I declare this to you, church, even though there are homes that have fathers in them, even believing fathers, we could be a lot better, some of us, me included. Just being in the home doesn't mean we're being the best father we can be. Obeying the Lord and trying every day to do his will and to apply his wisdom to our lives and to our family life is what we need to do to change this culture. So let's dig in, church. Jesus came to his father in his time of need. A father is someone you can talk to when you face difficult situations. A father listens. A father's not full of negativity and judgment. Jesus talked to his father, and the father only talked to Jesus three times that we know in the Gospels. And we're going to point out one of those, but only three times. Most of the conversation was Jesus talking to the Father. And the Father didn't pour out judgment on Jesus. The Father listened to Jesus. And I say that, fathers, because sometimes we dads can be extremely judgmental toward our children. Because they glorify us. What do I mean by that? Well, dad, when you take your son or even your daughter to the baseball or softball field, they are a reflection of who? You, your children are a reflection of you. When they fail, you feel like they're reflecting failure upon you. When they don't do well in school, we feel like they're reflecting failure upon us. And sometimes, fathers, we can be so judgmental that we tear our children down. We don't lift them up. Every time we interact with them, we say something negative. My son Josh came to me a few years ago I was sitting, we have a deck on the back of our house, and I was sitting on the deck in the back of our house. And church, I mean it adamantly when I say I want it to be and want to be the best father I can be. And I always talk to my sons, and I always ask them important things. How are you feeling? How's school going? How, how are you dealing with your dating relationships? How are you doing spiritually with God? And my son, Josh, is very loquacious. He's a talker, and he would often come to me, and we'd just sit out on the deck or in the couch or in the family room and talk. And one day he came to me and said, Dad, I hesitate to come and sit next to you anymore to talk to you. That horrified me, horrified me. This can't be. I'm trying my best, son. He said to me, every time I sit with you, you have something negative to say. How come you're not doing better? How come you didn't get an A instead of a B? How come you didn't weed whack the way I would? How come you're not taking, your car, taking care of your car like I do? How come you're not doing this? How come you're not doing that? How come you're not putting your clothes away? How come your bedroom's so filthy? How come, how come, how come? And he was absolutely right. I was tearing him down piece by piece. I was judging him. Who wants to come and sit next to somebody and talk and open up their feelings to somebody who's gonna be judging them every time? Because what was I saying to him, church? I was saying to him, you're a failure. You're failing. You're not glorifying me, and that's the most important thing, that you glorify me. So when people see you, they see something wonderful, and that must mean dad's wonderful. That's not what it's all about. There's something in psychology, and I mentioned this before, but it's worth mentioning again, called five-to-one positive feedback. Anybody ever heard of that? So when you're at your workplace or in your home or dealing with your spouse or your children, it's important that you give five positive comments to every negative comment you still have to give the negative comments. If he comes home with a D in school, I'm gonna say, you do not come home with a D in school. 
but he's going to get four positive comments. Hey, thanks for taking care of changing the oil in your car today. Thanks for picking up your brother from practice. That was really helpful. Hey, thanks for getting that haircut and not, not having me get on you about it. I really appreciate it. Hey, thanks for being a man of God and loving the Lord. It can't be all negative because they are nails in the coffin if they don't accompany positive comments. And this is true in any relationship, church. If I were to tear my wife down day after day, what kind of relationship would that be? Would she want to talk to me? No, no. All right, church, does not always need to solve a problem. Oh, this is a man thing, a man thing. Honey, you got a problem? Tell me. We can solve it in two minutes. Come on, give it to me. Give me, you know, with a wrench and some money, all problems can be solved. So when your kids come to you, sometimes they don't want you to solve the problem. Hey, I'm having problems in a relationship. Well, son, this is, no, just shut up. Just shut up. Don't always try to solve the problem for your children. A father is not physically present, just physically present, but he's emotionally present. What do I mean? Well, my dad was physically present. Loved my dad, not talking negatively about my dad. He did what he was trained to do, but he was not emotionally present. I couldn't sit down and talk to my dad about anything significant. Probably half of you in this room couldn't do that. It was basic stuff just to get by, just at a family dinner, just a conversation, just to get by. You never dug deep because there was too much there, too much ugliness there, or my dad wasn't emotionally ready to have any deep conversations because he didn't know how. He didn't know how. How do you have a deep conversation with your child? That's not what dads do. That's what moms were for back in the day. Mom will take care of all the soft stuff. I'm the father. I teach him to hunt. The church needs women. That's, that's for me. That's a job for me. Oh, I thought that was funny. You said the church needed women earlier. That's a man. That's a job. That's a man for a job. That's a job for a man. Wow. All right. Let's go back to the video. Roll it. <laughs> Men want to solve problems, but they have to be emotionally present. They have to not just put everything off on mom. They have to care. They have to show they care. And this is redundant. But a father understands that sometimes their child just wants to be heard. Jesus, all of chapter 17, you never hear the father say a word. He just lets the son pour it out. Just pour it out. And sometimes the father just wants to be. My wife started a new job this year. And sometimes when she comes home, she just wants to be heard. She just wants me to listen. And church, I, I don't have any problems doing that. Right? Once I gave up on solving the problem, I'll just listen. But it helps her. And you know, it makes her think that I'm interested in what she has to say. And between you and me, church, I'm not going to say it. But it makes her think. <laughs> See, you can teach a dad new tricks. But she wants to be heard. The children want to be heard. Sometimes they just want to be heard. So it's really important that a dad just learns to listen to the children. All right, a father is someone a child can look up to, church. Dads, can your family, can your children, can your wife look up to you? He makes choices that honor God. They see and hear him doing the right thing. Dads don't steal streaming services from their best friend. Hey, give me your password so we can have Disney Plus for free. Dads don't model that behavior. Dads don't drive down the road and curse out fellow drivers. Dads don't try to get ahead of people and cut in front of them because they should. They're, they're important. 
The children see dad behaving appropriately, dad behaving with honor, dad doing the right thing. And they should hear him using the right words and terminology. He makes the home a safe place, and I'll tie this in with the right words and terminology. He allows them to fail. Home should be a safe place, and that's where children flourish the most, when they can come home and they know that they have a safe place at home. But church, I am not talking about today's idea of safe place where we put them in bubble wrap and we're helicopter parents and we don't let them do anything risky and we protect them every way we can and we never let them bike in the neighborhood because a van might pull up and, and take them away and we're overly worried. Safety in our culture has gone way too far, but the home does need to be a safe place. Well, what do you mean by that, John? Well, it does need to be a place where they have their nourishment needs met, their food needs met, their, co their, their clothes met, the air conditioning, the heat, all those sort of things. But it's a safe place that they don't have to enter into environment and hear on the television R-rated language, see violence, see horrible images all day long on the tube because that's what you allow into your home, Dad. Fathers, you need to make your home a safe place for your children, for your wife. That, does, that means you don't have... Women in magazines uh, uh, strewn about, and I, I know most of you don't, but I'm just telling you, it has to be a place where there's safety and safety of a God variety. It's a place where, Father, you don't use foul language to discipline your children, and we'll talk about that a little bit more, but it's very important that it's a safe place, that your children aren't afraid to come home. And parents, make sure dad is not the disciplinarian that is feared in the family. Tell you what I mean by that. Growing up in Philadelphia, my mother, for the part of our early life, was a homemaker, and my dad, as I said, was a prison guard. So what my mother would say was, when your father gets home, you are going to get it. And you know what that meant. It didn't mean a stern talking to, because my dad didn't talk. It meant uh, you were going to get it, and you were going to get it not just on the cushioned area that is more cushioned than it's ever been, but you're going to get it wherever your dad wants to give it to you. So we feared my dad. We would hide under the bed because we knew at 11 o'clock, 11.30, he was going to walk through that door. And we feared him. Now, I disciplined my children. I spanked them in that cushy area. But I did it appropriately where they knew it was just and it was right. And I sat down and I talked to them. This is why I'm about to do what I'm going to do. I wasn't always that calm, so please. <laughs> but afterward, I would say this is why I did that. You have to understand Son, it's for your benefit. And I didn't say it's going to hurt me more than it hurts you because I made sure that it hurt them more than it hurt me. I, I absolutely made sure of that, especially when Josh started to laugh at me when he got older. I said, all right, that's, a, that's, a, that's not a wise move, boy. <laughs> but it has to be a safe place where there's no abuse. There's proper discipline. There's a calmness. There's a, there's a quietness. There's a... But there also has to be a place where they're allowed to fail. Um, so I, I told this earlier, but Josh is a good, great kid. I love Josh. He read up here, John chapter 17. Um, when he got his license, he, um, anybody familiar with the speed trap in Harrington, Delaware? Wow, wow, I'm amazed at how many people know. But there's a big sign that somebody made that said speed trap. So that's a clue, it's a speed trap. So it goes from 45 to 25 as you go through Harrington, and my, my son didn't see that it dropped down that quick, and he got caught by the Harrington police, and he got, because it's, like if you're, he was like 38 miles an hour, so that's points and $200 fine if you're going that degree over the speed limit through a municipality. 
So, you know, dad, I'm like, oh, man, this is horrible, son. This is horrible. You know what I didn't do, though? My nephew's a state cop. Jay Burns is a, is a cop here, the, the Burns family. I didn't say, hey, let's go call the Burns, or let's call our nephew, uh, Tony, and let's get this taken care of. You know, cop to cop, they can do that, son. They can just wash this under the, under the bridge, and you won't have to pay it, and dad will be happy because dad hates to pay anything, right? That's, that's the dad life. No, I said, son, you're going to pay this ticket. You're also going to go to driver's ed. You're going to take that 12-hour driver's ed course and get those points off of your license, and I'm going to pay higher insurance rates. Why did I do that, church? Because it's easy to say, let's just take care of it, not pay higher insurance rates, and just, just wash our hands of it. I wanted him to learn a lesson. I wanted him to fail. And I wanted him to know the consequences of what it means to fail. Failure has consequences. And we need to let some of our children fail. All of our children, we need to let them fail sometimes. Sometimes we need to stop babying them to the point where every need is taken care of without exception. Let them fail. A father does not abuse his power, but uses it to nourish the children. I don't use my strength. I don't use my size. I don't use my voice to abuse my children. I use it wisely. I do. Sometimes I use my manliness to impact my children, but I don't abuse that power. And I use it to nourish them. I, I often will say to my children, this is what a man is like. Now, if I had a daughter, I would say, this is what you should expect a man, how you should expect a man to treat you. Man needs a, a boy, a daughter needs to look up to his or her father. We're different. Risk-taking, I remember a story, I'm sorry if I just walked down my little nostalgic path. We don't have time, but I don't know, it's Father's Day, I'm gonna treat myself. So. <laughs> So when we do family camping trips and you start a fire at night, so I'm sorry, my, I call my wife my precious flower because she is, but sometimes a thorn or two approaches when I use her as an example during the sermon. So when we go camping as a family and we start a campfire, my wife has some campfire rules for the children. Don't put your feet too close to the fire, your sneakers will melt. Don't put hot things in and wave it around because you might put somebody's eye out with that. Now, she's not like this at all. This is totally made up by her husband. Um, if we do have a fire, remember the acronym PASS, pull, aim, sweep, whatever, I don't know. That's not what happens. So when we go on mancation and we camp, you know, the only rule we have is boys don't walk in the fire. You know, there's, there's two different sets of risk taking there, right? Don't walk in the fire, done, all right? You know, that's what we do. But that's, that's different, that's, I use, Boys, children, girls, I'm just talking about boys because I have boys. They need to see risk-taking in our world, stretching ourselves, not being afraid of their own shadow. I get so alarmed in our culture how sensitive and afraid of, of things that our children are becoming. Will anybody stand up when it's time to stand up? I hope so because they've seen an example of the father saying, let's take some risk. Let's do what's right. Let's be strong. All right, I'm babbling. It's what I do. Blah, 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 blah. All right, so the father makes sacrifices for his family and he lets them see it because that is Christ-likeness. Anything we do, any position we have, any ministry we hold, at the core of it is sacrifice. Anything you do, whether you're in the choir, whether you're a pastor, whether you're a worker at a factory, whether you're a lawyer or a doctor, whether you're a husband or a wife, everything you do to do it properly as a Christian must include sacrifice because that is the core of our faith. 
That is why we look at the cross. We see the sacrifice of Jesus Christ that should permeate our being. So what kind of sacrifices should our children see? Whatever, dad giving up anything to meet those college needs. I don't know, you've exhausted everything. You've got all the money you can. But dad, I remember my dad was not a Christian dad. And when I told him, I, I was going to Villanova University to be an electrical engineer. My dad was proud. When I told him I was switching and going to Bible college, woo, for an unbelieving father, son, son, you know, my dad stood up and said, whatever you need, son, we're going to help you. Wow, I remember that to this day. For an unbelieving father to support his son to say, I'm going to sacrifice. He told all his friends I was going to Villanova. I don't know if he told everybody I was going to Bible college. We didn't have those kind of friends. But he said, I'm going to stand with you. I'm going to sacrifice for you. Kids need to see that. You have, you have three dinners and there's four of you. Dad goes without eating. No judgment. No judgment, church. All right, this is not a place of judgment. Man, you're a tough crowd. <laughs> a father doesn't tear down, he builds up, Matthew 3.17. One of the times that the father spoke to the son was at the beginning of the son's ministry. And the father said, this is my son. And what did he say? In him I am well pleased. Now why would the father start the son's ministry like that? The son's ministry was to die. The father starts it off by saying, son, I love you. You're doing great. You're going to get through this. Together, we're going to make it because I am so pleased with the kind of man you are. Dads, encourage your children. They can overcome things if they know you're behind them. If they know you got their back, they can overcome a lot of things. So sometimes, that five to one feedback, say to your children, I'm well pleased. Not, you didn't take out the trash. You'll have plenty of times to say that, believe me. I know that. But I'm proud of you, son. I'm proud of you, daughter. A father expects respect. You are their father and friend, not just their friend. Demand honor and respect for both you and your wife. Don't ever go to Walmart and do a study of families. Oh, man, it is a nightmare. I went there with my clipboard yesterday just to learn and discover. I, didn't, I don't even have a clipboard. My wife won't let me have one. Um, so I went there, and, you know, I do go there and I shop, and the way that the kids talk to their parents, outrageous. And the way that some of the parents talk to the children, cursing at the children, and having, having back and forth, but cursing, and there's no discipline, and that's just, well, I want them to be my friend. I want my kids to be my friend, but I also want them to know that I am their father. I'm that aluminum plate that you don't want to try to break. Because, buddy, I'm your father. That's your mother. You will treat us with honor and respect, or you will live elsewhere. I've had those conversations with my children. Am I going to kick them out of the house? No, they're very good kids. But they know clearly that they will honor their mother and father. And that trickles to how they treat you. How they treat us, that's how they're going to treat you. Respect. We're friends, but we're not best buds from around the corner. So Jesus goes on to say, hey, how about these others? Father, take care of them. A father loves what his children love. So um, this is important. Express an interest in their interests. Find out what they love and do your best to share it with them. 
man, this was hard because, man, the kids, what the kids are into today, I have no clue what some of these things are. I was telling the first service, my son, my son Josh is into anime. Hey, and because of you, the youth leader, he's in anime. And the first time he said, hey, Dad, you want to watch anime with me? I said, I love the Beverly Hillbillies, son. Yeah, let's go watch anime. <laughs> it's Ellie Mae, but I was like, all right, that's the only thing I knew about. That's the only thing I could connect. Love the Beverly Hillbillies. So boy, was I surprised when I sat down to watch anime. It wasn't a girl. It was it's this Japanese cartoon stuff. But, but it was so important to him that I watched this one video that he bought a copy for me, and I did. And, you know, it was painful. It was literally painful. Josh left. It was painful getting through the two hours of video. But I was able to pull things out that we could talk about. There, were, there was a moral lesson that he wanted me to see what I thought about it. So I took the time to do that. But church, in order to do that, I had to give up my time to do something that was important to him. Fathers, your time is the best thing you can give your kids. Your time is the best thing you can give your children. So is football more important than your children's time? No. Is golf more important than spending some time with your children? No. I don't want you not to enjoy yourself. Why not include those children in some activities? I hate when I hear fathers say, boy, when my kids are raised, I'm really going to get involved in church ministry. No, dad. You're going to get involved in church ministry and bring your children with you. You're going to go to the homeless shelter and bring them with you. You're going to get involved in Awana and, and walk them through Awana with you. There's not a someday I'm going to get involved in ministry. That's not what you teach your children. You show your children that my time with you is something I cherish because one day I won't have time with you as much as I would like. A father treats their mother with respect. The children need to see mom treat it with the honor she deserves. I am so frustrated when I see so many marriages where the father will degrade the mother in front of the children. It's painful. When a father openly speaks words of love and kindness to his wife, the children learn. This is how you treat a woman. This is how you treat a wife. You speak words openly of love and affection. Ephesians chapter 5, you cherish and nourish your wife in front of the children so that they can learn because they are sponges. We all know our children are sponges. They absorb what they see and hear. A father does not disrespect his wife in front of the children. He waits till they're alone in the bedroom and then he disrespects his mouth. A father, I'm sorry, that's a cheap shot. A father never disrespects his wife, but most importantly, not in front of the children. Now, I've done this. I've disrespected my wife in front of the children. I have gone too far. When you have, when you have two boys and you're three boys in a house and one woman, sometimes we make her pull her hair out because we are just joking goofily and not in the right way, and sometimes she feels disrespected and we have to say, stop, I'm sorry. Um, we're going, we've gone too far. But my kids hear the apology. They hear the, I'm sorry, I've gone too far. I'm not perfect. And like I said to you, some days I feel like I'm a failure. Kids need to see a father functioning and a father using repentance as a tool to right relationships. Nobody's perfect. The father does not disrespect his wife in front of the children. A father openly expresses thanks for all that mom does for the family. Moms, do you ever feel underappreciated? Let me say that again. Moms, do you ever feel underappreciated? Oh, you're, you're, all right, come on. Come on, moms. I mean, you're, you're such godly women, you don't want to say it, but, but you do sometimes feel underappreciated. And maybe that's, and you don't ask for it. 
You don't say, oh, husband, I wish you would praise me today. You don't ask for it. When we ask you what you want for Mother's Day, oh, nothing. You better get, you better get them something. But they say, oh, nothing, nothing. I have you, hubby, that's enough. But they love it when we say thank you for taking care of the family. Thank you for showing the love to our children. Thank you for homeschooling the boys for 18 years. Thank you for doing the dishes. Thank you. Openly express thanks for all that mom does because you need to build into your children a love and respect for that role. Girls, boys, love and respect. It all comes from what they see in the home, church. What your children become are often what you modeled. So please don't forget that. That is so important. And then Jesus does something. He prays for those who come after his disciples, the generations to come. He says, Father, take care of not only these that are with me now, but take care of the generations to come. I have a hard time getting over what my father built into me, and I have to learn from it. Church, I confess that um, early on, um, my, my family was not Christian, and we grew up with a lot of foul language in the home from relatives mostly, and from my parents would just talk and they would use expletives as part of everyday speech. And church, I, I have to confess to you that on occasions through the years as I disciplined my boys, I occasionally used a word that probably wasn't appropriate here and there. Not often, but sometimes I became so infuriated, and you know what I mean when that little vein burst out on your forehead, and sometimes I let a word slip because I learned from my parents, and it's hard to get rid of it. But church, again, what did I do when I did those things? I said, sons, I'm sorry. This is not what a godly man does. I said, mom, wife, I'm sorry. This is not how I should be betraying a father to my boys. Generational impact ads. You impact your grandchildren. How you impact your sons and daughters has a trickle effect to how they will impact their sons and daughters. Don't discard that. What you are building today, church, Fathers, what you are building today, fathers and mothers, is what will trickle down generation upon generation. No, things won't be perfect, but it is better if they have a solid foundation built by you as they move forward in life and have their children. They will pick up things that you taught them, even though they might discard most of it. They cannot help but absorb some of it, just like I could not have helped absorb some of what my father taught me by my observation. Generational impact that you have all right, there was a second half of the sermon, which would take another hour, so we're going to go to the end, but I'm going to, i got to stop at this slide. So what's the difference between a man and a woman? We were going to discuss that a little bit, but we don't need to. But my son had the plate example. I have the squirrel example. What's the difference between a father and a mother? Okay, squirrel says, car 10 feet from me, I should totally cross the road now. All right, you know what the squirrel does? You know, I, I, on, on the way here this morning, a deer ran across the road. The, the deer didn't dance, go back and forth in the middle of the road. Squirrels do that, right? They dance in the middle of the road. You're not sure which way they're going to go. That's how squirrels roll, right? So if you're a woman, not my wife, but if you're a woman and you're driving in your car, oh, we can't kill the squirrel. We have to swerve. We have to stop. We have to slam our brakes on. The squirrel must live. That's my best women impersonation I can do. All right, so here's dad riding down the road. It's me or the squirrel. You know, at least a little fellow's going to go out dancing. <laughs> you know, because she's thinking about the cute little squirrel. I'm thinking my insurance bill's going to go up if I go into a ditch. Sorry for your luck, little friend. And, you know, you know, 
That's what David did, right? So, all right, so what's the bottom line here, church? All right, there's all the stuff you're missing. Good stuff you're missing. I feel sorry for all of you. All right, so let's get to the so what. So what? Wrapping up here, church. If you are going to be a father one day, prepare now. So for those of you who are going to be a father one day, learn now. Learn how to be a father. Read the scripture. Read the wisdom books. Read how to. This is a good how-to manual, but there are also other godly how-to manuals out there. Learn. Be prepared. Don't let day one catch you by surprise because you've got at least a good nine months to prepare, right? If you are a father of children now, make sure you are being the best father you can be. Make sure you're being the best father you can be now. And if you are not, if anything I've said to you has pricked your spirit, change course. Listen. Be plugged in. Sacrifice your time. Realize the importance of your role. If you're a father of grown children, make sure you continue to have that generational impact with your children. And here's, here's an important one. A lot of you have already reared and raised your children, and you're thinking, well, this is too late for me. Here's the important one. If you failed as a father, confess your sin, seek forgiveness from God and your children. Let as much healing take place as possible without forcing healing. Take only what your children will give you and be the man that God wants you to be today. Pray. Try to be the man that God wants you to be. But you can't change 20 years of what your children experienced overnight. But don't give up. If you think you failed as a father and your relationship with children is soiled and sullied and you think it's irreparable, be on your knees praying about it. Send a card. Don't expect immediate forgiveness because it will not come in most cases, church. But never give up. You could have a generational impact one day. I've seen this happen where a father says, I've, it's too much, John, I failed. They don't even want to hear from me. Yeah, I know. But God works on hearts. Do you believe that? God works on hearts. All right, church. So before we go to prayer, I just want you to think, fathers, today, how are you doing? Are you letting God into your relationship with your children? Are you making the most of the honor of being a father that was given to you? Let's pray, church. Father, I thank you for this time. I thank you for this wonderful day. It's beautiful, Lord. And as we celebrate fathers, Lord, let us always remember our heavenly father. Allow us, Lord, to always look up to you as our example for the men that we should be. And Father, let us rejoice in the role that we have been given and see it as a privilege and an honor and not a task that we must just perform. Lord, we thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.